This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital India Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree, also registered representative of Foresight Fund Services. I'm joined by Christopher Gennady, who is Head of Research for Wisdom Tree UK Limited. Our discussion is not tied to the offer of investment products. The views of our guests are their own, not those of Wisdom Tree's or affiliates. We're going to have a really exciting show today. We're going to be talking with Laurent Grinberg, who's the co founder of Team 8, the managing director of their investment fund, Team 8. Capital. Uh, Laurent is based in Israel and has a deep uh, knowledge of cybersecurity. Uh, and actually, Wisdom Tree and Teammate have come together to build a cybersecurity index. They're going to be talking a lot about the trends in cybersecurity together over the future. But, Laurent, why don't we get started with your background and uh, Israel? Everybody has to do some military service. I guess you got some of your start in cyber there. Do you want to tell a little bit about yourself and, and how that your background there? Sure. Uh, It's great to be here. First of all, thanks for having me. Um, I'm part of this teammate journey for the last seven years, but quite a few years beforehand, actually started my career in technology and in cyber at 8200. So I think it's important to maybe say a word or two on what 8200 is and and the Israeli ecosystem around it. Uh, So I'm sure a lot of the listeners know that uh, in Israel, there's mandatory service to go to the military at the age of 18, boys do three years, girls do two years. Back in the days, uh, the elite combat units, the Air Force pilots, these are the areas where the military gave the first priority for all those 18-year-old talent that joined the military. But throughout the years, the country has understood that intelligence is actually a first priority. Um, And and this is where 8200 started um, becoming a magical organization um, because it got actually the first pick. So think about that on, on a national level every year, 8200 has the ability to screen all the 18-year-old population, actually a year or two beforehand even, working in collaborations with high school, and choose the top 1% every year to join 8200, and only thereafter to all the other units, right? Wow. Um, yeah, that's very unique and, and very different from, uh, from the NSA, let's say, right? There's no mandatory service. Uh, you expect when you go there to the NSA, probably want you to spend your career there. 8200, you come spend three to five years, and then you leave. Like most of the people are, are let go. You, you can't stay there. Only a fraction of people stay there for their career. Um, but I think it's important to also say what 8200 is. So what is allowed to be said publicly, 8200 is just one unit out of quite a few in the intelligence corps within the Israeli military, but it's the largest unit within the um, Israeli military. It's bigger than our Navy, and it's responsible, some will say, of 80% of the country's intelligence. Um, and the way it was used to be doing it is by signal intelligence, tapping into whatever protocols that you get and gather information through it. 
and um, in, in the recent uh, quite few years, became more active and, and actually driving intelligence through cyber warfare operations. So that's highly confidential, but the fact that the unit does that, it's no secret. Um, and, and it's a unit that does a lot of very cool things in cutting edge technologies in anything around cyber, uh, data, machine learning, AI, and, and technology generally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe just, there's a lot to drill in, obviously, and in cyber in particular, but maybe just on the recruiting. So given how hard it is to get to into there, maybe any lessons for people who are building their own teams or how you've thought about how it what it meant to get part of H100 that you think of applying as you look for, for talented individuals to join your team? So, you know, I, I don't wish any other country to have the problems that the state of Israel has on the defense side to needing the mandatory service, and nobody can enjoy that kind of like... Uh, ability to tap into the, uh, uh, you know, the, the top 1% uh, of the population every year, right? So it's hard to replicate. But I think to your question, the thing that you can't be inspired from is the fact that because of this fast pace of talent coming in and coming out, it created in the in 8200 a, a very entrepreneurial and failure tolerant culture, which leads a lot of people to want to join there, which also impacted our industry. Um, I think the fast pace of technology creates the situations where the commanders in 8200 can tell you what we want to achieve, but can't tell you how to get there because they don't know, as opposed to other, you know, uh, military uh, units that, you know, the commanders lead by example and by experience, right? And this fast pace of talent coming in, coming out, meaning that you can take this impassable mission, give it to a team, they failed wait a year, we get another team, let's give them the same mission, they will probably fail again. Maybe in the third time, a third team, uh, magic will happen and they'll be able to crack something. Uh, and this is something that happens again and again in 8200, very failure tolerant, very entrepreneurial, the bottom-up innovation from these 18-year-old uh, um, people joining, uh, which is very unique. And the impact on the state of Israel, maybe, which is interesting, or in the on the technology industry in Israel, or the fact that it became a startup nation, is this evergreen flow of talents coming out, right? So you have these amazing people screened on their way in three to five years working with cutting edge technologies, and then they go out to the industry. Uh, so again, very unique compared to the NSA, let's say every year in the thousands, people come out and join the industry, either building their startups, joining some of the largest tech firms in the world that have R&D centers here, or um, joining just other Israeli company, which is really, I think, contributed a lot to the creation of Israel as the startup nation and to the mm -hmm. success of the tech ecosystem here. Ron, it's Chris here uh, over in Europe. I was curious because when you, when you look at some of the people who have signed on to join with Team 8, there, there are definitely some, some big names. It's not that you're, for example, working with other professionals who might have had NSA experience, to name sort of one uh, area there. But in fact, in, in some ways, you're working with people who have essentially led uh, the NSA in their past career. I mean, what, what is it that is, is so exciting and attractive that someone who has led the NSA would then turn around and say, instead of retiring and sitting on a beach somewhere, I want to come and join Leron and his team members over at teammate because it's just such an exciting thing to be a part of. So I won't talk on behalf of Admiral Mike Rogers, who's the recent former NSA director, who's part of teammate today, and we're very honored to, to have him as part of the team. Uh, I'd say that um, 
he has very similar background to a lot of us. And, you know, I spent in 8200 six years, but my co-founder from seven years ago when we started this, Nadav Safrir, uh, was the equivalent maybe of um, Admiral Rogers here in Israel. He was the commander or the head of 8200. So they have similar backgrounds. They've seen, you know, similar challenges and they've seen the impact that technology can have on the world. And I think, um, you know, both of them today and us, all of us, have the passion to apply this creativity to making the world a better cyber, cyber place, if you'd like. Um, they know the threat very well, and, and we want to, um, you know, leverage that to really um, uh, help the cybersecurity industry. But I think Admiral Rogers found uh, not only that, because incredible tech talent, incredible talent that can know amazing things, he had back in the days in the NSA, I think what, what's unique that he found in teammates, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more, is this community, not only of the tech and innovation talent, but the community of the practitioners within the private mar market that actually have to deal with the cyber threat. And these are the chief information security officers, the ones running the cybersecurity program for enterprises out there, for the largest banks or the largest manufacturing companies. And what Teamit has been able to build uh, in the last few years is really a very strong community of more than 300 such organizations, and specifically in the security prism, really the chief information security officers representing them that share information, talk about their challenges. Um, and that perspective is something that is uh, very unique, and I think Admiral Rogers, alongside others, found it very appealing to be part of. We're talking with Laurent Grinberg, the co-founder of Teammate. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. I have Chris Gennady in Europe. Laurent, why don't you talk about what you guys call the village? Uh, I guess that's sort of the team you're just talking about and sort of the group that is in the ecosystem and how it works together and a little bit what Teammate's mission is. We're talking a little bit about the index we, we, we co-created here, but talk about what Teammate does on your day-to-day -day, uh, and sort of founding companies and, and how the village supports that. So first on Teammate, Teammate is a venture group. Uh, we found companies, uh, building new companies from scratch, as well as investing in companies across multiple funds. Uh, cybersecurity is where we started, and, and definitely it's one of the strongest area. Uh, the company creation side at Teammate is very unique. Uh, we're not just looking at companies and investing in them. We're actually uh, are on the look for trouble, on the look for problems that are not solved for big enterprises in the world of security. Um, and then once we you know, identify those problems, we go through a very methodic process of uh, understanding the problem domain in depth, ideating a disruptive solution, uh, a whole new way to look at this problem and how to solve it, validating it with the market and eventually incorporate a startup company, uh, spin it off as an independent company to go and solve this uh, problem in the market. Uh, and that incubation process, that company building uh, process and platform team supporting it is very unique um, and, and very special. I think the, the, the reasoning to build this platform was, you know, we've looked at how the world creates innovation today. Startups is one on the one hand that are innovative and agile, but a lot of the time limited in resources and uh, um, bring up niche solutions. We've looked at incumbents at big enterprises that have a lot of resources and access to the market, but a lot of the time don't, uh, you know, are, are slow to innovate and are bureaucratic. And typically they grow in innovation by acquiring companies and not developing their own. And we've looked at the academia, which has deep research capabilities, but a lot of it is either theoretical or they're kind of like lacking the company building skill, the entrepreneurial skill. 
And we've looked at the success rate of those startups that are well positioned to this, and we said, okay, the, the success rate is higher. How can we maybe take the good of all worlds into innovating this innovation or venture ecosystem? So we brought together um, a platform team, an ecosystem, an organization that has research, uh, hopefully like the academia has, and we have a very strong research team in-house, which is something that funds do not have typically. Technology research, data scientists, technologists. Uh, we, want to, we wanted to have access like the incumbents have, access to customers, which brings us to your question on the village. Uh, so we've built this very strong network and strategic LP investors within Teammate to build it. And lastly, we wanted to preserve the startup's agility uh, and uh, the ability to be very focused on company building and creating commercial value on innovation, on innovation without um, the, the things uh, holding them back that others uh, have. Uh, and this is what we've tried to come up with Teammate, a platform that is really solely focused on dramatically increases the chances of success for building innovative startup companies. And I can definitely talk more about the village. And Leron, it's, it's, it's interesting that you sort of lay it out that way because I think at WisdomTree we have experienced uh, some of the key benefits from the village. I mean, if, if you think of what the typical person who's not in technology is thinking when they hear cybersecurity, uh, the first thing they're thinking is probably they hope their devices don't get hacked. And then if we're having this discussion last year over the summer into the fall, they're maybe thinking about uh, you know, ransomware. And if they're having the discussion now, they may be thinking of SolarWinds because that's what's in the headlines. But what's exciting is working with you, working with the village, we're able to think of cybersecurity in a much broader uh, mandate that is truly sort of focused on the future of where the key developments might go. And I'd love for you to sort of go into some of the key cybersecurity development themes that you and your team over there have come up with. Sure. So I'd say before kind of diving into seven themes that uh, we'll shortly go through, uh, I'd say first, this world is very complex. And I think it's a matter of perspective on how to come up with this list on what are the growth themes, what are the areas that we think is important. And I think that's key to anyone trying to navigate this complexity of the cyber world. Um, the perspectives that we think are critical and crucial and relevant are first the attacker perspective. You have to really understand the threat. You have, you have to really understand the attackers and what's their next step. How will they circumvent uh, this security measure that you've just introduced to the world. And we bring that perspective from our past lives. Today, we're only focused on private market and, and security, but in our past lives, uh, we were able to also apply the offensive side of cyber, right? Uh, the other important perspective is the practitioner's perspective, uh, really understanding the macro as well as the day-to-day -day, uh, challenges of CISOs, of the one running security at those big private sector organizations. And we've, we, we're honored to have uh, Charles Blauner, who was leading security for Citigroup, you know, one of the largest security organizations in the world within one of the largest banks, um, and his right hand for innovation, Bob Blakely, joining us as partners at Teammate and really represent that perspective alongside the village of um, 300 enterprises. And lastly, of course, is this innovation perspective, the deep research capability, technology, engineering, product. Um, these are unique talents that make a difference. And that's where I think 8200 plays and, and, and tapping into the, the, the talent that the, the graduate from such a place really brings a unique perspective to this matter. With that, 
uh, happy to walk you through um, the seven themes. It's seven themes. So how do we want to go? Do you want me to go all through it or uh, any preferred way of uh, how Let's go it? through it. Let's, let's go right. through it and then we'll, then we'll sort of drill down because essentially everyone's dealing with the pandemic now. So if maybe certain themes are a little bit more in focus or the pandemic was a little bit more of a growth catalyst for them versus others, maybe uh, we, we sort of work that into the discussion. Great. So the first theme is cloud security. Uh, a straightforward one shouldn't be surprising to anyone, but very important. Um, the cloud is still relatively new in historical terms. Uh, it's growing. Uh, it's arriving at every type of organization, and the pandemic very clearly uh, accelerated the transition to the cloud. And the cloud is complex. When you say cloud, it's a big world. There's the world of software as a service, SaaS. There's so many such applications being used by enterprises. Uh, we've seen that inspecting the network there isn't enough. Uh, we have to understand what's being done within those applications. We have to minimize the attack surface and the privileged access to it, an unsolved problem yet. But then there's even infrastructure as a service. Uh, so many development uh, with AWS and Azure and, and, and GCP, those environments that spinned off really quickly with architectures like microservices and Kubernetes, all of these uh, areas are novel and, and still don't have the right security uh, measures. And there's other type of cloud services, platforms as services and functions as services, a whole different animal. Uh, so there's a lot of potential uh, and growth to be had in how we protect the cloud. Second theme is security of things. Um, in the past, you know, we were just protecting uh, computers and servers. This is definitely not the case. Internet of things, um, is, is one aspect. You have it, uh, whatever sensors, smart meters, you know, around the world, but you also have within the enterprise, just those smart printers and the webcams um, and, and, and a lot of other things there that are uh, connected. You have the whole notion of 5G, which is allow, allow, allow you, and we can elaborate on that, to do all sorts of things we can't even imagine today and, and potentially cellular connectivity replacing a lot of the networking that we know of today. Um, which will, again, bring a lot of new challenges. Uh, healthcare, a lot of unique devices, things. Uh, energy, you know, uh, um, operational technologies there in the manufacturing flow. All of these falls under security of things that have a lot of room for innovation and need in the market. Third theme is what we call perimeterless world. And apropos cloud, the enterprise network perimeter doesn't exist anymore. It's irrelevant, right? Some will say identity is the new perimeter. Some will throw the word zero trust here. Um, there's a lot of uh, things that need to be done in this perimeterless world. There's a lot of innovation already taking place, but there's a lot more potential to do. The other thing is that uh, the, the fourth theme, sorry, is from a, from a consumer standpoint will be the most trivial one, uh, talks about privacy and digital trust. Uh, so the awareness for privacy is growing. The regulation is there to some extent. GDPR in Europe, CCPA in California, the equivalent, if you'd like, uh, is already there and enforcing organizations to adopt and to comply. But I think that organizations will want to stay ahead of the curve of regulation, meaning organizations will want to allow consumers to know what data is being saved and why so, and give them the full control. And that will be actually a competitive advantage for businesses, again, on the business side. 
Um, so I think uh, that's an area that we'll see a lot of growth in, um, and more so there's a lot of innovation and research breakthrough in privacy-enhancing technologies that allows you actually to enjoy from collaborating on data while preserving privacy. So there's a field that Teammate has done a lot of work with through a company called Duality, uh, which deals, for example, with homomorphic encryption, the ability to share data while it's still encrypted without exposing the data, allowing for just specific predefined queries to take place. So think about a healthcare provider that can provide data to a pharma company trying to cure cancer, trying to find um, the way to cure cancer based on genome uh, uh, research uh, and, and allowing you to share DNA sequences of all of us, but without actually exposing it, just allowing them to do the specific thing on a, a general level and not on the individual's privacy level. And these innovations uh, will create a lot of uh, opportunities, we think. The fifth theme um, is resilience and recovery. Uh, ransomware is something that we can talk about. Um, we cannot only uh, continue to be focusing on preventing attacks or detecting them at the very early on. We need to also innovate a lot in how do we overcome um, something bad that has happened. How do we, um, uh, you know, being able to really quickly recover, really quickly getting into the previous day. This is also something that we apply under cyber. Uh, and we think that there's phenomenal opportunities to do this better than it's being done today. Ransomware is a big problem for just one example that is not solved here. The sixth theme is shift left. And this is in the world more of technology and developers. Um, developers are running the show today in a lot of things. Um, it's not only that you, you know, ship a new version of software every six months or so and you can govern it. You ship versions to productions multiple times a day all the time. The environment is something that for the security staff is really hard to control with all what's being done with dev and DevOps personnel. So the responsibility for securing those environments that are so agile needs to shift left from the security teams that come thereafter to actually the developers that initiate um, the, the software changes themselves. Um, and there's a lot of technology and innovation needing to be invented in order to incorporate security from the very beginning initial uh, development life cycle from coding to building to deploying and to production, of course. And lastly, uh, the seventh theme is smarter security. Security is so complex. There's so many products coming up with so many alerts, and there's so few talents. There's a huge shortage of talents, a million of unfilled jobs in security globally. So we have to introduce more automation and orchestration to allow you to do things more effectively. Um, and not just continue to build up more piles and piles of products and alerts and need more analysts, more security professionals to handle them. Uh, so that's definitely an area that we put a lot of focus in, and we think it's definitely one of the important growth themes. Well, well, that is great. So we got the rundown of the seven themes. We're going to drill into more of these themes in the second half of our show, but we have to take a quick break. You're listening to Behind the Markets on Sirius XM 132. We'll be back after a short break. 
Welcome back to Behind the Markets here in Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Joining me for the show today, we've got Liron Grinberg, who's the co-founder of Team 8, Christopher Gennady, who's the head of research for my European team. Uh, we've drilled into some cybersecurity ideas and what the, the great work Team 8 is doing on the space. Liron, right before the break, you, you gave us the seven themes on cybersecurity, and there's a lot of interesting uh, areas to drill in more, but maybe I, I think timely with what's going on news-wise, you know, the ransomware tied to, I think, sort of crypto securities. A lot of people are saying the rise of the, the cryptocurrencies has has proliferated all the ransomware that they're now like easier way to not track the payments for ransom. Is, do you think there's a connection between say Bitcoin and this ransomware and, and any other sort of, how do you, how do you think those two tie together? So from a fintech perspective, I think Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and digital assets is, is fantastic, right? Uh, the market is actually coming their way. Um, you know, we, we were doing work in the space as well, and when we started doing so a few years ago, there was a lot of uncertainty if this was, uh, uh, you know, is a hype that is um, uh, going to fade away or here to stay. I think it's here to stay. Uh, and it's not a matter of this crypto-native community anymore you're seeing the big companies, you're seeing the financial institutions, you're seeing companies like PayPal, like Facebook, like banks like JP Morgan, right? All heavily investing in building this ecosystem and also countries, governments, right? Thinking about a virtual coin for a company whatsoever. So um, it will be very interesting to follow this. Um, so that's from a FinTech uh, perspective, which is very fascinating. From the cyber perspective, it's indeed making monetization easier for attackers. So you don't have, uh, it opens a lot of windows for them, for the attackers. You don't have to steal money anymore. You don't need to uh, uh, target the financial institutions or the retail point of sales or the areas where you can actually steal money or, or credit cards or fraud something that will uh, target money your way. You can actually disrupt something that people care about, send a ransom letter and ask for money in Bitcoin, which is anonymized. Um, and, and that it is what it is. Uh, attackers were creative before Bitcoin and they will be creative after Bitcoin if it will disappear someday. Um, you cannot do much about it. Um, the solution is security. The solution is uh, coming back to cybersecurity to prevent these things to begin with and to know how to recover and be resilient without the attacker's help, right? So we talked about, I think, the, one, of, uh, one of the themes uh, no, not the last one before that. So it's it's really resilience and recover. This is where you have to uh, invest in order to not be uh, needing to comply to attackers with ransom letters, but actually uh, being able to mitigate it uh, independently, right? Um, and another note, you know, you, we, we've seen, uh, which is just an interesting, I've seen recently a lot of headlines around, you know, people losing $280 million because they forgot the password for their uh, wallet that has the private key representing Bitcoin. So that's a challenge, right? Because it's all new and you want to have it, you know, decentralized and all of that. And it's indeed the case. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work uh, with one of our companies called Curve to help financial institutions manage those private keys uh, in a way that will um, be actually uh, be robust uh, and allow them to adopt cryptocurrencies faster uh, and in a more secure manner. We're doing, we're applying very unique cryptography called multi-party computation, taking the private key, splitting it to a few shares, saving it in different places around the world, making the risk substantially higher to be able to actually get a hold of all those shares and, uh, and steal the assets. 
so there's a lot of uh, interesting uh, work to be done in that world as well. Laurent, I, I uh, keyed in on how you mentioned cryptography there because I have noticed at least more and more that you might see different firms. I saw an article, uh, MasterCard and Visa were thinking about uh, this, this idea of sort of where does cryptography go when you're not dealing, say, in the classical computing space anymore and you start dealing in the quantum space, which, which might be a ways out into the future. But from time to time, you'll see these articles written about how potentially quantum computing will give you this potential to at least render a lot of the classically based encryption methodologies to be almost worthless. And I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more of that. Right. I think um, that a very few organizations in the world today have the luxury to look at this problem that you've just mentioned, to understand that in a few years' time, quantum computers will break all encryption we know today, and that's a big problem. Uh, and these companies that have the luxury to look at it are the biggest banks and the biggest tech companies, but not because they have a lot of money or something like that, uh, because for these organizations, to all these uh, legacy environments, it will take them years and years to go and do something about it. So they can architect the solution uh, but then to apply it to all those legacy infrastructure and all those uh, pieces of data that uh, has been saved for uh, you know centuries, um, it will take them a lot of time to do. And, and we're lucky to have these companies now working on these things so that the world comes prepared to it. I think it's an imminent problem uh, that we need to deal with. Um, the solutions are already here. Quantum safe is encryption is already of existence. There's already encryption methods that know how to outsmart quantum computing as well. It's just not the common uh, encryption that you're doing today. And the challenge is start, uh, on the one hand, start adopting it. That's the easier challenge. The other is really to apply it retroactively. How do we go and decrypt everything we encrypted in the past and encrypt it again in a more novel way? The world will need to face this problem. I wouldn't... Uh, neglect this. I think, uh, again, you know, the, the typical enterprise cannot deal with this today. The bigger ones do, the startup companies does, um, and, and, and it is a very important topic. Yeah, I mean, coming back to where we were talking about Bitcoin, people say, you know, when, when quantum computing comes, that could be one of the things that everybody starts hashing and just immediately goes there. There's a lot of discussion on China, like in, in the U.S. now, and, and a lot of the global tensions on, um, you know, China's, if you say who's giving the U.S. a run for their money on the big tech companies, sort of the Chinese tech companies are there. Any, do you have a sense if, if there's going to be a development in quantum computing is, do you have a horse in the race who's going to be the, the leader? Is it China? Is it uh, Israel? Is it the U.S.? Where do you think? Um, it, it's hard to say. Um, you know, there's, uh, interestingly enough, there's a lot of quantum work in Europe. A lot of the times, you know, when you talk technology, it's not necessarily you talk about Silicon Valley. Maybe you talk about Israel. Uh, but but uh, a lot of the time, not Europe. In, in, in quantum computing, there's a lot of great work being done in Europe. Uh, there's also great companies like IBM, et cetera, that are doing great work in research around it. We are doing work around it as well. Uh, we have a portfolio company called Classic that actually looks at, you know, the other side of quantum, which we just talked about, the, the breaking encryption, that's true. But there's also the phenomenal, you know, opportunities that quantum computing can bring to the world, right? Being able to develop applications and algorithms, doing things that we cannot imagine today for pharmaceuticals industries, for many others. 
Um, and that company uh, within our uh, group of companies called Classic allows the development and the modeling and the simulations of building these softwares and these algorithms today for the, those quantum computing that will be ready soon in the future. Uh, and that's kind of like bridging the gap of how do you um, start investing in this area, but in a way that can be commercialized in the private sector uh, and, and actually create revenue out of this, serving all those big enterprises that actually do have research in quantum computing and do develop applications. So regarding the country to lead it, um, um, I don't know. I'm sure there will be a lot from uh, the U.S. and from Israel around this, but I'm sure all the big nations are, are heavily looking into it as we speak. No, I love that you said Europe because uh, that was the last one on my list. So I uh, <laughs> have to keep my eyes closer. Let me just reintroduce our guest here. We're talking with Laurent Grinberg, who's the co-founder of Teammate. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. We also have Chris Gennady, the head of research for WisdomTree UK Limited. Chris, I know you have a, a question here. So, Laurent, I, uh, I thought of something that relates back to, I guess it was the, the first of the themes that you mentioned, uh, cloud security. And the way I was thinking of it, and, and a lot of firms are essentially faced with some version of this today. They used to have the people who worked in-house that were responsible for, we, we would call it the network. And they're responsible for the network to work. Uh, they, they didn't want anything to break. They didn't want people that weren't supposed to have access to have access. And it looks like the world is shifting. And we saw it in cloud security companies last year into this year, where now people are saying, wait a second, I should outsource this function to an expert partner, that expert partner being the cloud firm. And I'm just curious if you, in your mind, as you think about it, have any specific advantages that firms gain when they go from sort of that traditional model of having the in-house person to going to that cloud-based model where you're partnering with an external firm and how that might even be more secure in the end? First of all, before security, from a business perspective, it's the right thing to do, right? It doesn't make sense to continue building data centers for each and every enterprise anymore. You can just move fast on the business side uh, and adopt cloud computing. It's, you don't have those talents replacing disks and going installing servers in many of the organizations that had it 10 years ago, uh, which is great progress. Uh, on the security side, I actually think it's a good movement. Uh, it's true that a lot of the organizations are hesitating of moving to the cloud because of its connectivity to the internet, using the public internet to do so, because it's not under your control, uh, because some of the regulation actually had uh, um, some pitfalls making it more challenging to do to comply to regulation when doing so. But this changes and changes more and more towards supporting adopting cloud computing. And the bottom line, I think, is kind of back to basics. Uh, AWS at Amazon, um, Azure with Microsoft, and uh, Google with uh, Google Cloud Platforms and, and the other uh, cloud providers, but these are the leading three, um, they invest, invest tremendously in security. The, their ability to protect the infrastructure is much higher of the given enterprises, and, uh, and building the infrastructure and maintaining it yourself and staffing it with security teams on top of it is, is just not effective um, uh, compared to relying on those very uh, expert cloud providers. I think still one of the interesting challenges in security for cloud is that you cannot really just rely on AWS or Azure or GCP to do security. 
because from a business perspective, you typically do not choose just one cloud provider and be dependent on him. You want to work with multiple providers. So that's a multi-cloud use case. Sometimes you also have legacy, or for some reasons or the other, you also have still on-prem uh, software that you deploy. So that's a hybrid cloud use cases. And with this hybrid and multi-cloud use cases, you actually need security to be managed, not by the native security controls of just one cloud provider. You have to have something that manages everything. And this is, again, the, the why cloud security is one of the growth themes in our uh, um, index and in our report, because there's so many opportunities to help organization manage the security stack, leveraging some cloud native security capabilities, uh, but also attaching them together with one interface interface that allows them to uh, rule them all, if you'd like. Yeah, I'm thinking about how I'm even on this this uh, recording here using one of those multi-sign-in uh, cloud technologies to help keep all my passwords secure. Hopefully, uh, so it's interesting how that all how that all works. Lauren, we've gone pretty deep in in sort of thinking about some of the themes. Maybe if we step back and say, you know, Teammate is investing in cloud uh, in in the cyber venture companies. Now you're also looking at the index for the public companies. Where do you think you are in the ecosystem? How do you think things evolve over time? And you know, the you've seen a lot of companies starting to come public in both. You know, we talk, we've been talking cloud a little bit here, but that so that was certainly a hot topic. But where do you think you are in the growth innings, and and what do you expect coming forward here? Yeah, I think that our, our position here to um, to take a stand at the um, growth themes uh, for the index and generally is. You know, we're not uh, providing investment advice. That's not our mandate that, uh, you know, Wisdom Tree does best. Uh, we're, you know, our goal in life at Teammate with very strong research capabilities is to disrupt the cybersecurity industries, which is the public markets, to understand where the gaps are, where the technologies are not up to speed, where the new opportunities are, identify those areas, build these companies or invest in these companies, help them grow, become, get to that growth stage, to that pre-IPO stage, and then hopefully go IPO and become public market companies that the wide uh, um, audience can invest in as well. But, um, you know, that's what we're obsessively focused about. So we're, we're looking at um, those disruptions potentials, which are the growth areas that we see. Uh, these companies, these areas that we look after will either become big companies by themselves or will be acquired by those public market companies and security already existing today. If you look at Palo Alto Networks, for example, very, very, very strong in acquiring startup companies. And this is why they're high on the list of innovative security vendors on the incumbent side, on the big public market companies. Uh, not necessarily because they innovate from within, because they're doing a lot of acquisitions from the world that we're handling with on a day-to-day uh, basis. So I think uh, um, that can like focus of us, as well as the different perspectives that I touched upon earlier, again, the attacker perspective, the practitioner's perspectives within the private sector organizations, as well as the innovation perspective and the talent that allows, that, that really thinks outside of the box, really is positioned to say, okay, from a long-term growth perspective, these are the areas where we'll see a lot of innovation, where we'll see a lot of uh, IPOs and M&As, where we'll see a lot of business growth. Laurent, I keyed in, I remember you mentioned 5G and this idea of 
you know, when that technology becomes sort of widely proliferating and you're, you're seeing each country have their own version with China and the U.S. and Europe uh, ultimately rolling out this, this new way to connect many, many more devices. And you alluded to the fact that, uh, in theory, you're going to be able to do things that have to do with data transferring faster and faster that we can't even imagine today. And I, I was just curious. If, if maybe you, you had some of those things that you could uh, share with our audience here, just, just to make it even, even more concrete and maybe get people excited about, you know, that new Apple phone or Google phone that might have uh, the 5G capability for when it's ready. So I, I won't be the ones giving all the different applications uh, examples to inspire necessarily. And I think the beauty of kind of like new platform is that we'll see thereafter kind of like the applications that, that will be developed. But, but definitely because what 5G brings is a much better uh, latency performance, much better performance, much better speed. Things that are very hard to do in the world of gaming, for example, in the world of uh, virtual reality and augmented reality, you know, we've seen a lot of failed attempts in the past because potentially the technology wasn't ready. Uh, 5G, IoT, cloud computing, with all mixing this together really allows for uh, doing those things in a way that will actually provide amazing user experience. I think this whole area of 5G and IoT is definitely not just a hype. It's, uh, it, it, we're going to be seeing a lot of great innovation coming from that uh, space. IoT is already here. Uh, if you zoom into it, so many use cases today of smart devices, smart lighting in our streets, uh, and smart meters for our water, and um, uh, smart uh, uh, you know, stickers to, to check our uh, supply chains and logistics that uh, you know, the humidity and the temperature is right. And these all things are just you know, connected to the internet via cellular networks. Um, I think cellular connectivity has a lot of advantages in, in kind of manageability, in security, uh, and now also with the progress of that technology in performance that it might replace a lot of the networks that we know today in enterprises uh, even. Um, and um, needless to say, other than you know, cool things, we mustn't as an industry uh, fall into the uh, mistake of rushing and building this next generation infrastructure, next generation technology, and leave security behind. But we actually now have to start making investments in security for IoT and 5G now in order for for that, uh, you know, technology bring more and more use cases uh, with critical data, with sensitive data, with you know, mission critical uh, devices uh, that it will also be protected. Uh, and of course, that's an area that we're doing so uh, as well. Will be the new company that Teamit will announce soon that really looks at uh, cellular connectivity, whether LTE, 4G today, or 5G, really soon in the future, and and providing cellular connectivity for the world of IoT, for private networks, for enterprises in a much more secure manner, all the way from the edge, from the device itself, and, and keeping you know, encryption keys and uh, identities safe on that level, and through you know, the network itself, that while you have all these encryption capabilities, you still want to be able to inspect and to apply all sorts of security controls in this new world as well. We're talking with Laurent Grinberg, co-founder of Teammate, Christopher Gennady, head of research in Europe for WisdomTree. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. Laurent, I, I, we've been talking a lot about these themes. I'm, I'm curious, and as you think about your own personal security, I mean, the world has gone to where, you know, we were not always connected, and, and now people, new generations, are sharing everything from social media sites, Twitter, 
Facebook type things. What do you do for your own security? Do you have any personal lessons of how you try to think about managing your profiles and steps you take to stay compliant, be able to log into different sites, keep your passwords safe, protect yourself? What What do you do? I listen to my CISO, just everything he tells me to do, I'm just doing it. <laughs> so our CTO who leads the research for innovation and team is also our CISO uh, heading the security. You know, we save uh, passwords with, you know, a lot of those things are coming back to basics. You know, we're talking about, you know, zero day vulnerabilities, new things, new technology that requires new security at the end of the day. Uh, a lot of the attack starts from coming back to basics. Uh, a lot of us are being attacked by, uh, you know, phishing uh, attacks, by business email compromise, by, you know, uh, uh, providing a permission um, uh, to someone and forgetting about it and uh, someone, the, then an attacker will pick it up eventually because we're not doing the basic hygiene thing, right? So uh, um, there's, a, there's, there's a basic thing that needs to be done and, and, and it's hard to do this as well. For the enterprise, coming back to your question for consumers, um, I think you know in today's reality, uh, my my only suggestion uh, I won't recommend like a specific tool or a specific approach. I would say just you know be literate, um, you know follow this, uh, you know follow privacy concerns, follow cyber threats, uh, be a little bit more aware, be a little bit more suspicious. Uh, that's um, that, that, that's where, you know, on a personal level, you, you, you can actually hopefully avoid things. Um, just follow it, read it, um, and, and, and try to use as much as best practices uh, as possible. In terms of the other things teammates focused on, so I, I know we're talking about the major trends in the public markets. As you think about the, the private markets and other topics, what, what else is teammate doing? Is, is If you want to highlight anything beyond cybersecurity, what are some of the big focus trends for, for teammate? Well, um, wow, a lot. So uh, security is definitely a big focus area, um, including across all these seven themes. Uh, the group altogether looked, looks at enterprise technologies more broadly um, with a focus on two things. One is infrastructure, uh, generally IT infrastructure, cloud infrastructure, data infrastructure. All these things, you know, requires uh, new innovation. Um, DevOps, the world of DevOps, it relates not only to security and the notion of shift left, just generally, you know, we want to continue build software faster, deploy software faster, managing software faster. The, the, the software is eating the world, as the founders of Andreessen Horowitz said. Um, so enterprise technologies within that cybersecurity, within that infrastructure, cloud, data, DevOps, um, but also machine learning, AI, right? Um, so definitely we call it the, the AI-powered enterprise. That's kind of like a big part of our investment uh, thesis. Uh, it goes after either, you know, the generic uh, enterprise functions, sales, marketing, customer support, customer success, finance, and all of that. There's a lot of disruption for various use cases that can take place with each of those, uh, you know, functions within the enterprise. And there's enterprise AI uh, use cases in specific niche verticals, right? You can look at the insurance sector and create an incredible um, you know, uh, ability to uh, to help get data for underwriting models much more reliably and, and much more efficiently and faster um, by using data, machine learning, AI. So there's those um, 
different areas were um, actually in the world of data, it's not only the, the prediction model, it's being creative around how do you bring the data uh, creatively looking for digital footprints where they supply it, creatively looking at the, the features of the data that make sense. Then, of course, running those uh, machine learning algorithms, running the data science to create those, those insights, and thereafter also thinking about the business prospect process behind it. How do you then take those predictions into actually actionable uh, insights or uh, some kind of business process that takes place based on this prediction to create business impact. So all of these areas is what we what falls under the AI part enterprise and we have some very interesting innovation uh, under that theme as well. Specifically, lastly, I'll say for teammate, we're talking here about uh, the financial world and the public markets. Um, and we've talked a lot about cyber and a lot about data. Um, since cyber and data is the DNA of teammate, um, it was very natural for us when we wanted to expand to another domain uh, to actually go for fintech. Uh, financial technologies where, you know, a regulated industry where data and cyber is applicable and very relevant to any business applications. And this is where exactly in the last year and a half or so we've been working on expanding teammate to also build some very interesting innovation in a fintech. We've built a phenomenal team of uh, two fintech uh, unicorn founders built, um, you know, companies worth uh, uh, north of a billion dollars, as well as the CEO of Israel's largest uh, bank and financial institution. And together with this, uh, these three new amazing partners, we're looking actually at how to disrupt um, areas in the financial world based on a lot of data innovation, um, but also making sure these things are secured by design. So, so that's the newest uh, area that Teammate also focuses on today. Liron, you bring up a lot of good points there, and it's clear that Teammate, they have some focal points in things related to, say, artificial intelligence and cloud companies and fintech. And it's, it's very clear that the world has seen just the mass proliferation of data. And as you mentioned, the software is eating the world, uh, quotation, which is more appropriate today than ever. And the, the growth that some of these companies and business models can give you is like almost nothing you've ever seen before. It's clearly exponential. And you in sort of the VC market, you, you sort of have that private market sensitivity. You also have that public market sensitivity. All clients out there today are interested and would be interested to hear how you're thinking about marrying the idea of the growth and disruption with the idea of the valuation that you're seeing in the markets today. How, how are you at teammates sort of thinking about the question of valuation? Interesting question. So on valuations, I wouldn't attempt to say something smart about the public markets. Um, we've, we've seen a phenomenal you know, year at the public markets, but that's not, not where I'll, I'll comment here. I, I'd say that um, COVID was really a year that actually you know, accelerated digital transformation more than anything else we've seen before. Um, actually, you know, uh, maybe taking a step back, you know, remote work, distributed workforce, uh, cloud, all these things were of existing before COVID and actually the world hasn't collapsed from an IT infrastructure perspective when we try to all of a sudden work from home. Everything pretty much worked because big organizations, global organizations, a lot of them already work this way. 
but uh, it really accelerated uh, approaching it with more and more companies bringing more and more application, more and more use cases out of necessity, and 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 therefore, you know, the technology industry boomed uh, this year, and security obviously uh, followed it, right? Uh, so we've seen great things happening in the public markets, and and therefore we've seen great things happening in the private market, market in the startups world that um, we're more focused on. Um, valuations to your questions are super high now. <laughs> we we're seeing things, uh, you know, with seed rounds of companies just getting started. You know, if a year ago uh, you, you you've seen a you know four or five million dollar seed round of capital. Uh, from the get-go, you said, wow, that's a very high uh, seed round of funding. Now, all of a sudden, you're hearing of $20 million and north of it of seed funding with enormous valuations. Um, for, for the best teams that actually go after big problems and have proven capabilities to go after that. And and it goes not only at seed rounds, it goes all the way. The valuations are very high. Uh, I tend to believe, uh, I wouldn't say a bubble for sure, but uh, valuations are relatively high now, and I think it will uh, it's not necessarily on the, on the startup world uh, continue this way, uh, but it's just thanks to the fact that the demand is higher, that the potential is bigger, um, and that this year actually showed us that security is actually more important than before. Um, how do we deal with it? You know, we adopt in the, in the um, VC world, uh, again, startups, private market, uh, you have to go with the market. Uh, some years the market is very expensive. Uh, some years the market is uh, cheap. Um, and and you know if the average is somehow the the normal. Uh, and when the market is high, you have to play there because you know there's we just want to go after the opportunities uh, and be active. And we're very actively investing. Um, and and still, again, uh, the market is great, so these investments will do incredible returns to investors, to our investors, I'm sure, as well. I think we're getting close to our, our end here, Laron, uh, but maybe just a few final questions just on how you guys are managing the pandemic. I mean, Israel is leading the world, uh, I think, in COVID vaccinations, um, and I guess it's sort of, in some ways, not a surprise, but what do you think the the lessons are from how, how Israel's managed through COVID, what you're seeing through the vaccinations, any uh, any other lessons for the world? So the, the advantage is that we're a small country and we I think we've signed a great uh, deal with Pfizer that to, to enjoy some of the data of understanding the impact of the vaccination. I, I hope we're not making a mistake there, but, uh, but definitely, yeah, Israel is now number one in the world in vaccinations, quite a few millions of people already being vaccinated. Um, that, that is very positive on the one hand, uh, on the other hand, the numbers here are very high. Um, we're under kind of like a fourth lockdown now. Restaurants here are still closed. Uh, it's nowhere uh, nearing uh, an end uh, in any way. Uh, so in that perspective, the country does not necessarily manage this well. I'd say there's actually, you know, within our small country, there is different areas and different populations that, um, you know, not wearing masks, not doing social distancing, not following the, the rules. Uh, and, and these populations and areas actually create a big burden for uh, the country and the numbers are really high and very really challenging and problematic. But if you bring this, these uh, two together, the pace of vaccination, I really do hope that for the state of Israel being small and very effective in vaccination, in a few months time, maybe three or four months time, will hopefully, at least on a domestic level, will be back to normal in some way. 
Uh, I know that the rest of the world will take a little bit more time, so it won't be back to normal and flying and, and engaging globally, etc. But I, I'm really optimistic um, that, um, I don't know, in, in four or five months' time, let's say, in Israel domestically, we're kind of like almost back to business. Um, we'll see. Very good. And your team itself, are you guys all remote? And are you thinking about uh, how do you bring the team back together? We know for sure it won't be uh, the, the same as it was before. A lot of the people find the convenient and the uh, effect effectiveness of working from home, but we definitely miss it. Uh, working together as a team, we're very collaborative in our model generally and in our culture. So I think people will come to the office again in a few months' time, uh, you know, at least three to four days a week. Maybe, you know, one or two, you'll stay working from home. But I, I really, truly hope uh, we'll get back to uh, to normal and work from the office. I know that a teammate, at least everybody, really wishes to do so and uh, as soon as possible. Very good. And where can people stay up to date as you guys are doing all the you know new content on cyber and other areas? Where would you point people to, to stay up to date? Uh, you can Google Team 8, uh, and our website is at team8.vc, like venture capital. Uh, so look us up, and uh, we'd love to have you follow us. Well, this has been great. I'm sure we're going to be doing more conversations. Uh, we've got this new co-branded index, the Wisdom Tree Teammate Cybersecurity Index. We're going to be looking forward to sharing more content. Uh, you see they've got a wealth of knowledge on the industry and, and perspectives. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, Laurent, for joining us on Behind the Markets. Thank you very much for having me. Chris, thank you. Um, I'd like to thank our producer, Pouty Hall, our sound engineer, Dion Simpkins. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. You can listen to us on our Behind the Markets podcast every week. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.